Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Tyrone Marshall. Good morning. And by Samuel Luckhurst. Good morning. And have you both recovered from your trip to Anfield on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I'm dead. Jet lag wasn't too bad, was it? It's, uh, it's only down the road. Quick, quick uh, trip down the East Lanks Road for me. So it was uh, a nice, nice, easy game in in that regard. It was uh, a tough watch, but um, travel-wise, there's you? much worse games. Hmm? A tough watch for you? It was a tough watch. Yeah, I mean, United did well for the last half an hour, but it was still um, it, it was a golfing class, wasn't it? Let's just say that the golfing class and the the effort United have got to do to reach that standard was was laid pretty bare. They were in the game for the last half an hour, but I think that was more by luck than judgment. They were fortunate to be in the game. I thought the disallowed goal on De Gea was, was probably fortunate, although you often see them given. The surprise probably was that it wasn't given at the time. But seeing it back, I didn't really think there was much in it. I thought he just lost the ball and Liverpool missed plenty of chances. United defended resolutely, but Liverpool missed a lot of chances and, and could have been out of sight before United's late efforts. Yeah, I guess it depends who you ask after the game because Liverpool could easily have scored four or five but they didn't. So to some, that's a success from United's point of view. And to others, <laughs> it's a negative. It's a low bar. Um, how the mighty have fallen. For you, Samuel, how, what was the reflection today? Like you said, it could have gone worse, but United were hoping it was going to, going to go better. But it was always likely they were going to lose. But in the end, it was quite spirited. I think from a, from a journalistic perspective, there wasn't really much to sink your teeth into. It, it reminded me slightly in a weird way of the Sheffield United game earlier in the season and that United seemed on course for an appalling defeat and then they seemed on course for a remarkable comeback win and then neither happened and I think for a lot of United fans that were going to Anfield I suppose they were hoping for the best but preparing for the worst and they didn't really get either I mean as, as Luke Shaw said they were they had a chance of taking a point in the 90th minute which not many teams can say going to Anfield this season but when would you start talking like that I mean I, it just just then I, I, it felt like I was morphing into David Moyes or something you know that that, that is just that's that's the galling thing about it and I think that United squad yesterday, despite how depleted it was, still cost apparently £50 million more than Liverpool's. United spent £140 million more than Liverpool in the summer. And it just doesn't look anything like it whatsoever. Um, they, they were relatively respectable. I thought Shaw was, was quite commendable um, in, in, in the back three. I thought Fred was probably the best outfield player. De Gea made certainly two very good saves, one, one a, great, a great save from Henderson. But the quality is just there's just such a dearth of quality in the key places and we've spoken about the number 10 role so many times but at, at Anfield the vantage point you have in the director not the director's box the um, the press box it's kind of like a tactical vantage point if you like and the amount of times Pereira got the ball and you could see where he should pass you could see what he should do and I lost count the amount of times that I was saying I can't really repeat what I was saying at the time, but you would, you would say it about any player in that position, not just because he was a United player, because he either held on to the ball too long, then got dispossessed, or he didn't even see the pass where it should be. Whereas the top players, they know where, before they've even received the ball, they know what they're going to do with it. But Pereira's not that type of player. And in, in games like yes, yesterday's, it, it gives Jesse Lingard hope. And that's the problem, that, that role just taking matter out of the equation for the time being it's like a parcel parcel act between those two because neither of them are good enough neither of them are number 10s and you are just going to have to persist with matter now 
And the problem, the bigger problem for United is not that they lost to Liverpool. Everybody has lost to Liverpool this season, literally, in the Premier League. The problem is that they've lost Marcus Rashford for two months. That, that attack has always been one injury away from collapsing. And we saw when Marshall was out for eight weeks early in the season how, how bad Rashford was in that period. There, there were calls for him to be dropped and, and understandably so at the time. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a really, really tricky period for them now. Yeah, Ty, the uh, double stress factor confirmed by Solskjaer. It was mm. a odd team news. Every interview he gave, he seemed to give something different. It was anyway, sort of pinned down by Sky after the game that Solskjaer admitted that it was a double stress factor. It's no hiding from it from United's point of view. They've got to accept it now, but how do you see United actually coping without Marcus Rashford? Do we have to buy Badly. someone this month for you now? Um, well, uh, what, what's, what, what would be the point of buying someone they should, but they should buy someone if there's a player out there that improves them they shouldn't go out and spend £10 million on buying Andy Carroll to get another striker in because it'd be a complete waste they're, they're not going to finish in the top four so do you not think so it's so <sighs> close they're not going to because from my point of view the argument is they could still they could still win the FA Cup That's that, who knows how that's going to pan out they could. they could they could get the top four because the top four is so open Chelsea we saw at the weekend just as Calamitous of the United. United go to Stamford Bridge in a few I weeks' think we, time. I think we've seen enough this season now to know that Chelsea are a better team and a more advanced team than They've United. I know United twice. have beaten them twice, but Chelsea are more consistent. I mean, what's what's the gap? Five points? Yes, five points. Realistically, do we see United closing that without Chelsea Marcus play Rashford? Arsenal again on Tuesday night, don't they? Yeah, I know. I could see really. United closing it. I can. I, I think we will get into May and United will have a chance finishing the top four because Chelsea... I know you said consistent. Uh, they they can be, but how many t- how many games have they lost since um, the November internationals? Now they must have lost five or six league yeah, games. They've it, lost it, a few at home, but I mean there were signs against Burnley. They've they've fixed that issue. I mean they just look. And I know they've got their issues. Maybe consistent's the wrong word because you're right. They have lost some poor home games, but when you watch them, they look a far more complete team than United are at the moment. And Chelsea are nowhere near complete, but. If you watch both teams, I think you'd say Chelsea look the better team at the moment. And now you've got United without their their best player this season for two months. So yeah, but that's my argument of why they should buy a striker. Because there is the opportunity. Sure, if they get someone, an experienced striker in this month, then that could be what ultimately gets in Champions League football. Well, maybe, season. but who, who are they going to get up front to improve that team in January? I mean, there's, we've seen the way they've pontificated about... Bruno Fernandes and made just an absolute mess of that since the summer I don't think there's much faith that in what's the date now in 11 days they're going to find a striker capable of filling Marcus Rashford's boots that they're happy to to pay the price for I mean if they, if they can get a deal done and it's reasonable enough value then by all means go for it but what they shouldn't do is just waste money and waste big wages on a player that come the summer is going to be unneed, not needed yeah, and I guess um, from the club point of view, you've got to forward plan as well that a player can fit in with whoever's in charge of the club. But Samuel Solskjaer said again that you know a lone striker could come in, but we've been speaking in the office this morning and there's not one <laughs> name that anyone can actually say, well, he's the lone striker you go for. I mean, it just seems like Ty said, you don't want to buy for the sake of buying, but the, the opportunity is there. Someone needs to come in surely because this United team have been bad with Rashford and now without their best 
outfield attacking option, it'll be even worse. I think we did ourselves a disservice this morning because all those names we were going through, given that they looked at 804 right-backs, I think these, these players' names could be on this mile-long list of uh, potential options. They're not, there is not an ideal loan option out there. I, I, I do wonder if there's an element of face-saving going on there, like this, this is us trying, but realistically... You know, we, we might have to turn to Largy Ramazani or someone like that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when United nearly signed Paolo Di Canio in the uh, January window in 2002, but because Dwight York wouldn't go, they, they couldn't get Di Canio in. And if there was an option like that, that would be that would be appealing. It's just a short term. Come like I mean, Di Canio was a maverick option back then, and uh, it, was, it was a strange one because they just sold Andy Cole, Forlan had come in, and then they were looking at getting another striker in, and th- that was ironically Solskjaer's um, best goal scoring season for United. I think he scored twenty five goals. He, he played very very well, and he played a lot of games with with Van Nistelrooy. But of course, it was a different era. It, it really is difficult to pin down someone who not only is is you know a, a decent get but would fit in with the pattern of play because the names you think of as possible realistic ones like Giroud or possibly Urente these are thir- these are 30 something battering rams really who aren't necessarily going to get you goals uh, it's it is really difficult, but that's the, you know we're, we're talking at it as though you know it's difficult for us to look come up with these names. It shouldn't be difficult for scouts. That is what they're paid for. Uh, that's that is their job to go out and, and locate those those possible options. But I, I still really would not be surprised if come eleven pm next Friday, United have ended the window without signing anyone. There's absolutely no way Chelsea are going to let Olivier Giroud join Man United online. And there's that as well, yeah when United are five points behind them and either in or not in the top four race depending on your point of view and like Samuel says this, this is what I'm, I mean about not spending 10 million on I mean Andy Carroll's just a name I'm throwing out there but I no, said Shane Long phrasing <laughs> I mean Shane Long would at least fit the style of play so that would make goals, more so. sense he doesn't score goals he's Which very perfect. he's very intelligent I think he helps other people <laughs> score goals this is not a Shane Long we're but, not doing his work for him no he's not they need to sign to someone that fits the style rather than waste money I mean they, they need to start getting transfer windows right they I, mean, I guess that's the problem isn't it itself yeah. um, the fact that United a, a good scouting network would have planned in case this happened and you'd have a list of names ready in case an injury happened in the January window so you can get mm. people in like Gary Neville said just at the top of the club the people in charge just aren't doing the job right well, and they they had forewarning of that really with the Marshall injury earlier in the season that that was an example there that this is an attack that is always one injury away from just looking completely decimated and it's just the difference between one player and unfortunately for United it's the, their player of the season it's their highest scorer who has, has sustained the injury and sustained it in just about the worst way possible in that he came on in the second half of an FA Cup third round replay when I don't think at that time even though the game was goalless and United weren't weren't particularly good I don't think there was a clamour necessarily for from United fans to, to get Rashford on at that point so I mean but that but that's again it, it, the, the, do you think United have themselves to blame then for this injury crisis that's going on because you look at the players I don't think it's a coincidence I mean look McTominay 
gets injured in the second or third minute and doesn't come off until half time. And they had clearly made the decision to take him off at half time uh, before the half had ended as well because Pogba started warming up pretty much straight away at half time. So they are culpable for it. And it, frankly, they, they do look like amateurs from sending Rashford on in, in the second half and getting injured to getting Brandon Williams to mark. Virgil van Dijk at a corner uh, but somehow the fifth best team in England at the moment well that's 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 the mad thing about it and that Arsenal um, are probably not going to be a real threat other than in the Europa League um, between now and the end of the season Tottenham had a brief purple patch under Mourinho but that's starting to turn sour already as well so you know it's, it's Sheffield United and Chelsea are the ones that that are surrounding them at the moment. It's it, it is a peculiar one, but that is again it's that parallel with the Van Gaal season where there's a an available coach who they probably should appoint and you know they're, they're still in cup competitions and also they're likely to be in the chance with finishing fourth going into May because the the teams around them are, are not particularly good. It'd be interesting to see how United judge this season because, like you say, they are fifth, and if you'd have said. United at the start of the season will finish fifth you'd have probably said yeah it's not a bad season really I don't think anyone expected much more top four would have been nice there's only five points off it fifth would would be alright but it's the lowest points tally to be fifth at this stage of the season in the Premier League ever by a long long way so they are fifth by circumstance really rather than their own performances if this was a standard Premier League season they wouldn't be fifth I did a piece on this not long ago. They'd be seventh or eighth, ninth, occasionally even tenth with this points tally. So if the Premier League goes back to a mean next season and United produce another season like this, they'll be way off it. So do they judge it on the fact that they finished fifth in a year when fifth downwards has been disastrous? So they judge it on a points tally that is that is United's poorest. I think at this stage of a Premier League season. Yeah, I guess I mean this week United could probably finish, United could finish the week fourth. They could finish the week probably about tenth, couldn't they? Can they finish it fourth? Well, they've got two games, aren't they? Oh, no, FA, FA Cup. Yeah, so yeah. I thought they double game week. So naive. <laughs> but, you know, a lot could change this week. United could be two could points be behind Chelsea, or yeah. negative, or a win. You know, it could be two points. But in terms of the actual Premier League season, do you think? I mean, is the fact that it's so tight from everyone below Liverpool? A good reflection on the league or a bad reflection on the league? Bad. Uh, it's the thing is, everybody. Well, the, the the paymasters anyway say that it's the best league in the world. Uh, I don't. Is there? It, it, is there actually a best league in the world at the moment? Because France is a procession. Um, I suppose it's open in Germany, but who, who watches close, it? Italy's it, but... close, but. They're taking United cast-offs left, right, and centre, so the quality can't be that great there. It's it's tight in Spain. It's a, you know there's a pretty compelling title race possibly going on there, but it's become a procession in England. And okay, I, I don't think Liverpool are a team sixteen points better off than City or or whatever it is now, uh, but they are having a, a near immaculate season and. You know, City could could win the European Cup ultimately as well this season, but behind those two, I mean, Leicester have started to really you know tail off a little bit now as well. But I still think that for them to be where they are at this stage is you know great great credit and testament to what a brilliant job Rogers has done there over the last eleven or ten months, however long he's been there. And I think that's what United have to measure Solskjaer against that Rogers. People aren't saying about him; he needs. 
three summer transfer windows or things like that. Uh, he's he's made players better there. He's got them playing brilliant football and you, you know when it comes to the big player sale in the summer Leicester are probably going to get more than £80 million for Madison or Chilwell or whoever it is that they decide is this year's big player sale and that's the galling thing for United I think given the coming into the season Tottenham you know Pochettino was kicking off uh, Arsenal fans really pretty much turned against Unai Emery at the start of the season before then uh, Chelsea had the transfer ban and clearly you didn't really see them as going to be a major threat to Liverpool City certainly and you'd have thought okay United should should finish above them that's that's why it has to smart for United because they were in a position where they could very quickly have got back into the Champions League had they nailed recruitment made the right managerial appointment etc they've got some of it right but again the, the the window the the summer window was unfulfilling they let, ended it two two players short and they probably shouldn't have made the current manager the permanent manager well, yeah, last night after the game Roy Keane was he, he's pretty passionate in his defence of Solskjaer saying that he's the one who, who needs time he needs to be given the support from the club Gary Neville said that you know it's Ed Woodward basically to blame he's, he's not invested the money wisely mm. but who do you think is to blame for this current mess at United um, well I think they can both be to blame um, Solskjaer's had his good moments as United manager but I still think if you ask most United fans uh, I still think most would say that they don't see him as the man to take them back to the top of the league he has engineered some improvements out of out of the players but I'm not sure we're seeing enough to for him to you know go down as the man who's going to who's going to turn it around but even if you get rid of him, the, the off-field issues remain. The, the biggest problem at the moment is that squad's been in desperate need of a rebuild for a long time. And if they don't sign anyone in this transfer window, they'll assign three players in three transfer windows. The, the, at the moment, there's, you know, there's talk of closing the gap to Liverpool and Man City. Solskjaer said in the week that they, the aim has to be to challenge for the title next season. There's not a chance. They're miles off it. And the, the pace of change is pedestrian at best. And, and all they're doing is falling further behind Liverpool and Man City. So, you know, the, the aim next season shouldn't be to win the title. The aim should be to, to try and improve because they're, they're not going to win the title next season and they're probably not going to win it the year after. There has to be, there has to be an acceptance of the reality at United at the moment and there doesn't seem to be. In terms of the transfer business they do, there doesn't seem to be. In terms of what, I mean, to give me a juice, Solskjaer did say it, it might be unrealistic to expect a challenge for the title next season. But he's probably saying it because he's a Manchester United man and that's what Manchester United managers should say. But... That's not the reality here, is it? It's not the reality, and there needs to be an acceptance of that. But the way, the way they've gone about recruitment and signing three players in two and a half transfer windows now, there just doesn't seem to be this acceptance at how quickly things need to change. And and the longer it goes on like this, just the further behind they're going to fall. Yeah, and like you said, if the league returns to normality next season, that could easily be eighth or ninth for this mm. current set of squad. And, and so I guess the frustrating thing is we always have to do these pieces how many players United need we all know how many players United need but again with general transfer window we're two thirds away through and United haven't signed anyone again like you said none of us would be surprised if we don't sign anyone this month how when will United realise the only way they'll close the gap like you said there's this fascination because United have spent so much and wasted so much that you've spent more well it's only got, the figures only get bigger and bigger and the gulf between what United and Liverpool spent is going to be even more of a chasm but United have to spend money what, Sh- why sh- shall we just frame this as the Bruno Fernandes section yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well just to say transfers Bruno and Brackett right so. well, very good um, 
with with the Fernandez thing, they they are concerned that if they spend nearly seventy million pounds on a player who's only carved out a reputation in Portugal, it sets a benchmark for the summer targets, and that someone like Madison's fee goes north. Um, I think there has to be an acceptance that if they're to become competitive and credible again, they're going to just have to spend a lot of money anyway. They knew that in the summer with Maguire, with the centre-half. Whoever they signed as a centre-back, they were going to have to pay a world record fee, probably. But they were still cutting corners with someone like Daniel James, who has, in fairness, he's been a a pretty good signing. He's he's looked tired over the last month, but he's exceeded expectations. Wan-Bissaka, I think they probably did quite well to get the fee down to what they did. I think Palace probably could have commanded a lot more than what United paid up front there. But the reality is, the way Portuguese clubs operate, they like to drag things out. They like to plant stories. They like to put pressure on the buying club. And I think a lot of people have got a very good idea as to where the personal terms agreed story came from uh, last week the source behind it because it has been a tactic in the past used to whip up to intensify pressure on the buying club because fancy and they just think that well okay just just sign off the deal that's it but it's such a I mean we're wise to it because we work you know we have to check on these things but ultimately personal terms are not difficult to agree with a player who's playing for sports in Lisbon uh, the difficulty is agreeing the fee and United have probably, I think they've offered around about 50 million euros for Fernandez. Sporting won 80 million euros. And the the, the the asking price went up last week. And United, from their end, they said that they had no explanation as to why the asking price has, has gone up. You could, I mean, you joke about it seeing Rashford go off injured, but it might be because of that. It's like put two and two together and it might be because Rashford's got injured and you are going to need a new forward. So yeah, we're going to um, hike the price up. But the biggest problem I have with it is that, I mean, I was sceptical about it in the first instance because United uh, likened Fernandes in the summer to Nico Gaetan uh, and they were irritated by the plants in Portugal. If you know how Portuguese clubs operate and you know that Fernandes um, had uh, Jorge Mendes touch base with Fernandes's camp in the summer then don't bother whatsoever. Don't don't even bother exploring it. Look at somebody else. But they've they've decided to look at trying to sign Fernandes this summer. Sorry, not this summer, this month. And it looks like, at the time of speaking, that it probably won't happen because of the disparity uh, in, in what United are prepared to offer and what Sporting want. And again, just why bother? Look at a different target. And I know um, our uh, absent colleague, Liam Corliss, got a lot of stick for saying it but he was right when he said look United have just got to walk away and look and, and prioritise the attainable um, and better targets in the summer I know on Twitter because Jack Grealish and James Madison are English and they don't have names as exotic as Fernandez, he's all they're, they're yeah. automatically inferior players but the reality is those players have played in the Premier League uh, approved Premier League players and you would well, I mean, they would certainly enhance United anyway. How, whatever level they might reach at United, remain would remain to be seen. But they're better players, and eighty million euros on a player who might not actually be that good, despite his stats. His stats are in are in Portugal, and I, I know you can't read too much into one game, but the standard of the Sporting Benfica game on Friday night was was appalling. It was drab. Fernandez was for the certainly the first half was probably the standout player. 
but again, just just don't bother. Uh, but they've caused themselves an awful lot of hassle, and they could end up embarrassing themselves again. Did, I mean, the question has to be why United didn't do more to try and sign him in the summer instead of saying they're irritated by stories linking them with him and are now doing all they can to try and sign him in a market that's much harder to operate in, at least in the summer. I mean, the price has probably gone up now because, well, for a few reasons, partly because United are evidently desperate. You can see that by on-pitch performances, by the injury to Rashford, the injuries to McTominay and Pogba. You know, they, they are desperate for another body in there, so sporting are no doubt chancing their arm. The price will also have gone up since the summer because, A, he signed a new contract, and B, it's, it's January. Prices always go up in January because teams don't want to sell their players in in mid-season. It's like seeing something in a January sale and then trying to buy it in December for Christmas and it's gone back to full price and, and being surprised at it. I mean, the price was always going to go up. If United really wanted Fernandes, then the summer was the time to do it when you can afford to play hardball with Sporting. The Sporting might have done the same tactic in the summer, but you can afford there to walk away. You can afford to let the trail go cold for three weeks and then see if Sporting suddenly come calling and say, oh, actually, we've had a rethink. We'll, we'll knock a bit off the price. It's a lot easier to do these deals that are going to take time in the summer when you've got, you know, two months, ten weeks on your side to, to try and get them done rather than trying to rush it through in January when the, the shortness of the window means the, the ball is always firmly in the, the selling club's court. Was it the sporting president who referred to uh, David Gold and David Sullivan, the West Ham owners, as the, <laughs> as the dildo brothers, didn't he? I mean... Given his character and that colourful comment that he made, if United were to sign Fernandez for 80 million euros after being, what well, I mean, the timeline of it, summer, irritated by Bruno Fernandez reports, uh, Paul Pogba gets injured, Scott McTominay gets injured, Bruno Fernandez signs new contract, January transfer window opens, Paul Pogba is injured again, United pay 80 million euros. The, the sporting president might as well just like set up a Twitter account if he's not got one and just take a picture of himself smoking the biggest fattest cigar going because United have fallen for the trap again and I imagine they are conscious of that but again if you're conscious of that just do not bother in the first instance but they did bother it looks like it's going to be a lose-lose whichever way now from United fans United have got irritated United fans or they've got overpay for a player who's well Liam was accused of being on the Glazer payroll I saw at the weekend the the thing about not overpaying is is probably the right thing to do I'm very noble but when you're in so United, noble. so noble. You don't you don't get any points for nobleness, so unfortunately. Really brave. It can be top of the noble Premier League, but you're not going to get a trophy for it. And at some point, given the, the peace prize, man. given the scale of this rebuild, at some point they are probably going to have to overpay for a player. And I think there was a lot of people probably saying Liverpool overpaid for Virgil Van Dijk when they spent seventy five million pound on him. But I don't think many people are saying that now. Sometimes you've just got to overpay if you think that player's worth it. In Fernandez's case, I'm not sure he is, and maybe Manchester United feel the same, but at some point you might just have to bite the bullet and say, here's what you want, we think this player is going to transform us. Yeah, think of the Noble, they might as well go for Mark Noble if they want to prove a point this <laughs> January, but uh, Burnley, Wednesday night, mm. exciting. United were, well, I dare say brilliant last time they played Burnley, definitely much better, they yeah, much they're... better than they have been, they were very good, even Andres Pereira stole the show that night but Wednesday night will be on the back of that Chelsea game United could close the gap again they traditionally this season have always failed to close the gap when the opportunities have arisen but what are you expecting from Burnley at home it should just surely be another comfortable win uh, well the, the quirk of uh, United coming up against Burnley I think in the Premier League era is that they've never done the double against them um, Burnley have always somehow managed to take a point or three points as 
um, was the case with the Robbie Blake game going back in t- 2009 off United and I think they were the they were the team that stopped Solskjaer's winning run last season was that Lind- or was that Marina when Lindelof scored his first goal or? No, 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 no. United were 2-0 down with about 10 minutes to go at home and then I think Lingard came on and changed the game. So what do you say? How how times have changed. Look at that clipped. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that is the quirk of it. And and Burnley had an excellent win against Leicester um, on on Sunday. We were watching that in the press room whilst whilst also working, of course, at Anfield. And uh, there was an element of good fortune that Pope saved... Vardy's penalty but that was that was a huge win for Burnley and uh, I, I really wouldn't put it past them they they get getting a point at Old Trafford or certainly stopping United from winning uh, they they can be organised they can be resolute having said that when United went there um, three or four weeks ago whenever it was uh, it's probably the worst I've ever seen Burnley play against United I mean they were quite quite thuggish um, in the way they went about the game and I think United possibly made it a lot more difficult for themselves than they, they should have done but it, the, the peculiar thing, I suppose, is that you know, going off from the Liverpool game, uh, it's not peculiar as such, but you, you can kind of tell already what that front six is going to be just by virtue of the fact that there's very little choice now. Ty, mm. your thoughts are against weird because in the last couple of weeks United have sort of been worse against the bigger sides and they've been quite okay really against the, the smaller sides again, which mm. is quite, quite encouraging in that, that regard. But Burnley at home, you could see it going absolutely anyway can you yeah I mean you could Burnley have got quite a decent record at Old Trafford in, in recent years although the caveat to that is that their record against top or traditional top six teams discounting Leicester and the, the win the win in that game for now is pretty abysmal over recent seasons they seem to have lost their I think it was a theory when they first came into the Premier League that the way they set up was made it quite difficult for top six teams but it's not the case anymore and they normally just look limited in these games you'd have to fancy United would would have too much for them, even with with Rashford out. I think. I think it's is it last Burnley have drawn the last three at Old Trafford. Yes, I think so. There was the been a couple the heat, of, there was the Heaton game, a couple of two twos, and then and the Tom well, it's, it's, it's the last on Boxing yeah. Day. Uh, they were 2-0 up in that one and again Lingard, Lingard came on and changed the game and then they were 2-0 up last that's season like, so that's, that's a piece for it. I know I know Lingard can, to start can, can he make it the hat trick of Burnley going 2-0 up in games that Jesse Lingard then came on and transformed maybe yeah. United's secret weapon for, uh, I've got it in draft don't worry <laughs> uh, just along with my I should sign Mark Noble which has just been a brainwave that we'll uh, Jesus which we'll see but uh, Ty Samuel thank you very much for joining thank us you. today on the Manchester is Red podcast we will be back again later in the week to reflect on the game against Burnley and that mysterious FA Cup weekender where will Samuel be going will it be is it How- where is it is it Hounslow Hounslow well, that's Essex isn't it what Hertfordshire. Uh, Hertfordshire. Yeah, I swear there's another region of Watford. Not Hounslow, obviously. Oh well. Can we edit this bit? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's going so well, isn't it? Where's Hounslow? That's my research for the rest uh, of the day. People switched off now. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is a private chat, Rich. <laughs> we'll see you again next time. <laughs> <laughs>